0: Hello and a very warm welcome to Le Bourgeois. Welcome to France. Welcome to the official Ligue 1 podcast. We are in our second week of lockdown here in France, but Le Bourgeois is uh, continuing to uh, to bring you all the latest news and uh, bring you hopefully some entertaining chat about France's uh, top flight. We are once again uh, remotely connecting with uh, your biggest, best, and most entertaining Ligan uh, pundit, certainly in the, uh, in the English language. Hello, Robbie Thompson.
1: Hello, Matt. Hello, everyone. Good morning from, uh, from uh, my lockdown bunker. Robbie
0: does speak English. He has a slight Australian twang, but we can, we can understand gone, it. David almost Almost
1: disappeared. David Crosson speaks the
0: Queen's English. How are you, Dave?
2: Yeah, fine, Matt. Lovely sunny day out there. Wish I could go out.
0: Armel Tanky. how are you?
3: Morning, I'm okay, thank you. How are we all doing?
0: Yeah, good. We, you, you, you weren't with us last week. Get, just uh, give us a, a quick lowdown on, on, on where you are and how, how life is.
3: So I'm uh, with my girlfriend in the 5th uh, district of Paris and uh, this is my 10th day without leaving the house. It's uh, challenging, but I'm enjoying cooking and I've started learning Portuguese for the past 10 days.
0: You should be learning Spanish because today we're going to have a special uh, Argentine twist. We're going to be talking about the best Argentines ever to have played in League Arm. But before we move on to, uh, to to that little theme, we're going to just bring you up to date with, uh, with the news. Obviously, not a lot going on in terms of uh, football matches, nothing at all, actually. Um, but the newspapers, the radio shows are still sort of keeping us uh, abreast of uh, what the different clubs and and the different players are getting up to. And one of the things that has made quite a lot of headlines, uh, you know, and a few negative headlines as well, the the fact that Thiago Silva, uh, Neymar, Cavani, three of um, PSG's South American armada have, have gone home. Thiago Silva and Neymar are back in Brazil. Cavani back in Uruguay. We've had Isabel Silva, Thiago's wife, who is quite often vocal on social media. Said a few negative things about France, saying that it's a sad place at the moment. There was nothing left in the supermarkets, and because France is the second worst affected country in the world, she wanted to go back to Brazil. It was at the time actually the sixth uh, most affected country in the world. She's happier at home, where their kids have swimming pools uh, in in the house. Are we being um, are we being a bit harsh to, to criticize? Can you understand? That, that desire to perhaps be be back in her, her home now what do you think Rob?
1: I uh, I think that But maybe we're being a bit harsh if we're just feeling a little bit jealous because <laughs> I'd love to have a house with a swimming pool at the moment as well and a, an indoor gymnasium and a backyard where I could could go unfortunately I'm on the third floor and like Amel I'm just cooking and and the the worst thing for me in this situation is I'm just putting on weight but I can understand that people want to Want to, want to go back and be near their family as well and be in an environment which they know. These are, these are stressful times for everyone, and I think a lot of people would like to like to just go home, even if it was to England or Australia, even if they're still affected countries, and just be around familiarity, no? There's also a medical uh, opinion to take into account, which is that people shouldn't travel and people awesome. should stay yeah. put. So mm. from, a, from that point of view, I don't think anyone can condone this movement of people between countries, because even if they are very careful and even if they are staying in quarantine for two weeks afterwards, the whole idea is that we don't move so that we can't transmit this to to anybody because that's how mm. it's, it's going to move. So, in in the pure theory of it, we should just be be sitting back here, shouldn't we?
0: Yeah, and uh, we're going to talk about uh, football. We're not. I, I know a lot of you who uh, who are tuning in and not tuning in to to hear about. The coronavirus. I think you've heard plenty about that, probably um, on other programs. There, there have been some really positive stories in France, as we've seen elsewhere, with uh, players and, and clubs donating money. Lyon have donated three hundred thousand euros to the local hospices in uh, in Lyon, and we need to see more of that. And just very quickly, um, the supporter groups who come in for uh, you know a bad press quite a lot over here in France. Um, Often unfairly, I would say, they've been getting together and doing a huge amount of work for their local communities. Um, an example is the uh, Indians, uh, the Tolosa Indians at, at, at Toulouse, who've been delivering coffee, biscuits and fruit juice to the local hospitals. Very good. But a lot of the supported groups have been uh, doing whip rounds, collecting money um, to, uh, to help uh, in particular with regards to uh, to the healthcare. So I, I assume you guys are applauding that.
1: Absolutely, and the Paris Saint Germain supporters. Just to uh, bring it back home to to, to les Rouges et Bleus, as we say, they um they often all throughout the year, not just waiting for these difficult times. They they get together and cook meals and deliver them round to the homeless people on the streets of Paris uh, throughout the year. And uh, the the supporter groups are not just about going to to football matches here in in France. They are also strongly involved and committed to, to helping out the community and they and the the supporter groups in Marseille we know that in difficult areas of Marseille they're very important for for keeping kids on the straight and narrow and uh and it's the same here and they they get through a lot of community service and that's also what what football clubs and football families are about are we going to start talking about football now coronavirus football because I think we
0: should Rob I think we should <laughs> I wanted to talk about one of our favorite managers who was just uh, wow one of my favourite managers in League One because he is—he's quite funny, he's quite entertaining. Thierry Laurie. and he's done a wonderful job at Strasbourg. And Thierry Laurie this week has just extended his contract by a year. Now cynics might suggest that with his contract ending in June, he probably thought it was a good time to extend his uh, his employment. I certainly would, given the current environment. But um, of course, we're not—we're not cynical. We know that Thierry Laurie's has done a fantastic job. He joined Strasbourg. In 2016, they were in the second division. He got them. He got them up. He's overseen two very solid, very impressive league 1 campaigns. Almost a third there. They're in the top half again this season. They're going great guns. They won the Coupe de la Ligue last season. Um, Thierry Lurie, great news. Great news for Strasbourg. And um, we're going to see more of his, you know, withering attacks on on journalists in in, in press conferences. And uh, you know, it's nice. It's nice to see a. Uh, a small club, isn't it, that's that's well run and that has a manager um, with, a, with, with a good method, Dave?
2: It is. This is actually the latest in the season that he's agreed a one-year contract because he's been doing this every season pretty well since he came in. And the previous times he signed the extension, it's happened much, much earlier in the season. Um, that It was reported in the press that Loret would have liked more than a year this time around, but he, he's only got 12 months And in the official club statement that was released, uh, there was no quote from Thierry Loret, which I found quite interesting. The only quote that was in there was from Mark Keller, the president, saying that they had a cordial meeting and that they're delighted to be continuing to work together. And it's it's no big problem having a year on the deal. It means flexibility for both sides. But, you know, it's it's hardly an overwhelming vote of confidence in someone who's done so well for them either.
0: But is it also a sign that, um, you know, he's got that sort of self, you know, self-assurance because uh, as producer Ian is is pointing out a similar situation to the one that Pep Guardiola had at at Barcelona where he'd sign, you know, year after year is Thierry Lurie, you know, the Barcelona or rather the, uh, the Guardiola of Strasbourg.
2: Bobby Robson had one of these as well. Every day he woke up, he had another 12 months left on his contract at Newcastle. A rolling one-year contract. He is the longest-serving coach in Strasbourg's history. That uh, really? Gilbert Press, who won the title, their only title in the late 70s, mm. did longer, but in three separate spells.
1: It's an interesting one because Strasbourg are a, a team that that don't seem yet to be to be shooting higher than their status or shooting for the stars. They seem to be building slowly. Keller is obviously an an intelligent man at the helm, but they're they're not they're not over themselves budget wise or anything. They're not they're not trying to punch above their weight, and that's not with mm. any disrespect to Thierry Lorray. But they you know, they've got players who have been there, club men who have been there like Leonard and Grimm, who's who's still there despite the fact that Leonard's playing less and Grimm has had serious injuries. He's still there on the books. They have that strong identity. And but in offering only one year contracts, are they building to get into a financial, a solid Ligue 1 place because they're only just coming back to to being a solid Ligue 1 side. They had a taste of European football this season, but they are they building up and only offering one-year contracts to take that next step soon when they feel I think they're very they're ready? yeah. I think they're very well managed aren't, aren't they
0: Dave and they mm. also have I just wanted to say they have perhaps the most passionate football well, certainly one of the most passionate followings uh, in in France and that's a massive plus.
2: I think they're wary of their history as well, gents, because when you've gone so low and you've hit all those financial troubles, then you're you're going to be more careful. The house husbandry is going to be slightly different when you're looking at the books and how much money you're going to commit. And particularly at the moment, uh, well, we said the context is quite good. Make sure you've got extended employment in these uncertain times. But the clubs still don't know whether they're going to get all of the TV money from this season. So you don't want to be committing to lots and lots of spending without knowing exactly how much is going to come in.
1: You were mentioning it just earlier, Dave, about, about the effects of and, and potential transfer market and the season going on until July or even August. Players are all out of contract. But are, players, are teams, are clubs going to have any money to spend on, on the transfer market this year? There are there rumours in France that if the season isn't finished... There's going to be about $200 million in, in television rights which isn't paid. The teams are also losing lots of money from gate receipts and from merchandising and from everything else that goes around the match day experience. They're losing a lot of money. The bigger clubs are losing more money than the smaller clubs, obviously, but the smaller clubs we know are really struggling in these times. And I'm not sure there's going to be... A, because they still have to pay all these players' wages, of course, and nice. I'm not sure there's going to be money for transfers.
3: Might this be a time for players to start accepting that they can uh, live on smaller wages? I saw Barcelona have accepted, their players have accepted to uh, take a smaller wage during this difficult uh, period. And uh, it might just be a time where players are saying, OK, well, I I need to move. Teams across Europe have made uh, less money with uh, fewer gate receipts and the TV money not coming in. Maybe this is a time to cut a zero off my salary and just think about where I need to play yeah. next.
0: Well, I saw Stephen Naismith at Hearts has uh, agreed to to cut his salary by, by 50%. And I think it's easy to say, it's easy to suggest, um, but it would certainly send a great message about football and, uh, you know, the uh, the image that, that footballers have. I, I kind of, you know, I'm going off the subject here, but I do kind of think this period, might help football and and football's image just because and I'm taking this idea from the uh, the chronique the column I read in in France football which just says we've, we've had so much football it's just been non-stop non-stop you know all summer all over christmas day and night there's football 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 and actually having a few weeks a few months probably without football um you know it might make us appreciate the sport a bit more
3: on that point i've seen a, a lot of uh, french people on on social media who are usually so critical about the level of their beloved championship Liga, actually saying, you know what, this period has made me realise just how much I miss it. I miss Toulouse, I miss Marseille, <laughs> and, and it's, it's, it's nice, it's nice to see, because they're suddenly realising that, oh boy, i spend spent my whole life uh, saying how rubbish it is and uh, how much, you know, the nil-nils are, a boring games and that, but actually, when it's gone, my god, they miss it.
0: You are indeed listening to Le Bourgeois the official League Arm podcast. We always welcome your thoughts, your feedback, and at this time, where we have an opportunity to sort of delve into different subjects, past and present, do send in your questions. They could be about the current season, they could be about uh, your favourite current players, players from the past. If you have a question about transfer targets, or if there's, I don't know, uh, a League Arm memory or a subject that that, that you're desperate to, to hear about send some questions in you can email in league1podcast at gmail.com and we're actually inviting you to send your questions in with your own voice recording so um if you do fancy sending us a an audio file it can be an mp3 or a wav file we will um we will broadcast your questions you could be on the league and podcast Do send them into league one podcast at gmail.com. We're now going to talk about Argentinian footballers. David Crossan has been uh, studying this subject for his uh, very well-researched article on, on league one.com and Dave has picked his five best Argentinian footballers in league and history. Dave, tell us about the five you've gone for and how, how difficult a task was
2: this? This was much harder than the article I wrote last week, which was the five best Englishmen in League 1 history, because there were far more to choose from, far more worthy candidates. I'm I'm not going to give the the full reasoning, because you can read the full article on Ligue later, but I'll just go through the five now and give a a line or two why I've chosen each of them, and then maybe a couple of lines about why certain people didn't make the cut, and then you can start telling me that I'm wrong. So I've got Delio Onis. You're wrong. I'm in (laughs) Ligue record goal scorer, 299 goals, five times the top scorer in Ligue 1 and a Ligue 1 champion with Monaco in 1978. You just can't ignore him. He was born in Italy, though. He did grow up in Argentina. Uh, out of the current players, the only one I've gone for is Angel Di Maria because uh, there's been a lot of love for him on the pod for his displays in 2019 in particular. Uh, he had a very good first season when there were a lot of sceptics after his big money move from Manchester United, he definitely deserves his place, had five good years already. Uh, I've gone for Gabriel Heinzer and that was a bit trickier for me because when he was at PSG I was more of a, a Pochettino fan, I thought Pochettino was much smoother and that Heinzer was generally out of position and those last-ditch challenges that he made were, which the crowd loved so much were down to him not really understanding how to defend properly. He was a much better player, I thought, when he came back at Marseille and won the title with them in 2010. The only title Marseille had won since 92. I've gone for another player from that era, Lucho Gonzalez, who was amazing in that year. Signed at the age of 28 for big money. Didier Deschamps really wanted him. Okay, he only had one good season, but again, for a club of Marseille stature, to have only had that one league title since 1992 without Lucho Gonzalez and his League-leading 11 assists, they wouldn't have got it. Um, I know Robbie's going to mention Javier Pastore later. You can read on League why I didn't pick Pastore. Uh, Carlos Bianchi is my fifth. I'd I really like to have been able to pick Lisandro Lopez because I thought he was terrific at Lyon. Uh, David Trezeguet, the dual national, doesn't make my list either. But Bianchi does. Like honest, he was the top scorer in League and five times. He never won the league, though. His best season was a 37-goal season in the league for PSG in 78-79. So, just to remind everyone of my five, Delio Onis, Angel Di Maria, Gabriel Heinzer, Carlos Bianchi and Lucho Gonzalez. Thoughts, can gentlemen? We, can we
3: all give our own five now?
2: If you've got five.
3: I'd like to throw Nestor Fabri's name into the hat. He's a spent some time at uh, Gangon and Nantes, former Argentine international and uh, Argentinian international. Sorry. That's the adjective. And um, he's, uh, he's someone that Didier Drogba lists amongst the best defenders that he's ever played with, which is quite something when you consider the career Drogba had that he played with Fabri at his first top flight club with Gangon. Um, I think Lucas Acampos might uh, be listening in <laughs> thinking, Does someone not talk about me here for his years of years of running? I mean, he's probably running marathons on his balcony right now, like uh, like we've seen other people do in France currently. So I think his name should be thrown into the hat. And just 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 because people have probably forgotten that he played in Ligue 1, Javier Saviola for his year or so at Monaco, because he was a brilliant player at his prime. And I'd like to see him play up front alongside Fernando Cavanaghi. The Bordeaux legend. There we well,
1: Kavanaghi is uh, probably has a, a, a solid uh, defence, no? To be in this in this no, list, Dave, you don't don't think cavanaghi no, I thought he was very good, cavanaghi He was very Have good. A goal. It,
2: it, when they won the title in two thousand eight, two thousand and nine, cavanaghi scored a lot of goals in the early part of the season. But who propelled them to the title? It was Johan Gorkouf and Marouane Shamak. It wasn't cavanaghi He was injured and out of favour in the second time. Sorry, I meant Diawara.
0: Yeah. Can I just ask, Dave? Um, Lissandro mm-hmm. Lopez is he not in because you had too many forwards and you wanted to include Gabriel Heinzer uh, like you wanted a defender? I and mean, because I, you know, I can't understand, you know, particularly in the modern era, I can't understand how how Lisandro can can not be in it.
2: Look at Delio Onis and Carlos Bianchi. No, no, Both no. no. I'm to not saying and
0: Bianchi shouldn't be in it. I'm saying if we're talking about if we're talking about Pochettino, Heinz, uh, um who's the other joker? No, yeah, um, sorry. Uh, lucho yeah lucho lucho was good lucho was good but for me lissandro <laughs> left a far bigger imprint on you know on, on the ligan landscape
1: no way. The no way lucho lucho gonzalez yeah and also lissandro was there at the time when leon would, were just fading off that he did play a, a okay. champions league semi-final wow. he
2: did score the winner and, uh, in the coupe de france final in 2012 against a third division side um, is that enough for inclusion he got them to the Champions League semi finals. I mean, he was, he was carrying Leon's
0: team for two or three years. Lucio, Lucho fair play, but Gabriel Heinze, no way. Pochettino, I mean, I watched PSG. I know you didn't include him in the five. I watched PSG a little bit, but, you know, my, my memory is a bit hazy at that period. He was a good player, but he was, he was a bit slow, wasn't he, Pochettino?
1: He was a good player, but he was, a, he was the captain of that side as well. And like Dave says, he was almost always impeccably positioned. He was captain of the Argentine national team. Great ponytail uh, as, as well. Solid, well. Solid I remember hair. Him in, Solid In 2002,
3: hair. was he at exactly, yeah PSG when he um, got sent off and gave that penalty for David Beckham? Uh, yeah,
2: that was, he, uh was. Yes. Yeah, he was. Yes, yeah. he was. He was at PSG 2001 yeah. to 2003.
0: I've got a there couple go. of other names. They're not names that, that would make the top five, but um because this team um, really made a huge impression on me, it was one of the first... Uh, teams that I I got to report on in the the European Cup, in the Champions League, the Monaco side, 2003-04. And they had a a couple of uh, Argentinian players. Hugo Ibarra, who was um, a very, very neat and tidy right-back, didn't play all of their matches, but, um, yeah, really, really good footballer, and he helped them on their way to the Champions League final. And uh, Lucas Bernardi, who had one of the most sort of unlikeliest midfield pairings with, with Zikos. The two of them were not spectacular footballers, but they, they blended together so well. And they did the job for that tremendous front four, which it often was, um, of Juli, Rotten, and Morientes and, and Perso. So those two definitely deserve a mention. Um, probably not in in the top five, just like I would say Emiliano Sala, who has uh, obviously left uh, an enormous uh, sort of imprint on our league 1 lives, our, our league 1 memories, and uh, you know, I wouldn't be saying that that he should be likened to Delio Onis, who scored an unbelievable number of goals, but for for what he did um, for those seasons, in particular at Nantes, I, I know he he did well for six months at, at Caen, and he left a lot of good memories and good friends behind at, at Bordeaux as well, but. You know, the way the Nantes fans took to him, the way he was just uh, so wholehearted and a really limited Nantes side, he would lead the line on his own, get so many important goals and, yeah, uh, just uh, obviously massive, massive um, sadness and, um, yeah, he certainly deserves to be mentioned in this discussion.
3: What about down the road from Nantes, a man with a name that resounds around the whole world of football, Higuain, George Higuain, did he?
2: Yeah, born His in Brest. Father
3: did. His father did. He played in ah, Brest. You're, you're yeah, talking about the
1: Iguain senior. Yeah, Iguain yeah. senior,
3: which is why Gonzalo was born in Brest because. What about Buruchaga? That's
2: oh, yeah. why Trezeguet was born in Rouen as well. His father was a professional footballer in France.
3: Mm. There was
1: a uh, Buruchaga played uh, for a long time in France in Wasn't in the eighties,
2: who scored a World
1: Cup winning final goal as well in in 96. 1986. Yeah. But uh, his his reputation was somewhat tarnished uh, by are. being yeah. directly involved in the OM Valenciennes match-fixing scandal of 1993, which saw Marseille mm-hmm. stripped of the title. And he, and along with, uh, with a few other Valenciennes teammates, all got caught out for accepting... He was a good player, though. And he, and he, he, he was a very good player.
3: He had a handily large briefcase as well that was easily <sighs> handed around parking lots.
1: Everyone had brief uh, briefcases and suitcases, old style in those days. Armel, that's just that—that was the the 70s and 80s.
0: I wanted to say that because a lot of people say that Maradona won the 86 World Cup single-handedly. Excuse the expression, but which you know he was. Did. Which he well, Borussia is one of the counter examples to that, isn't it? Sort of because
1: yeah.
0: you know he did have a. I keep saying the word "hand." He did have a helping hand, didn't he, Maradona, in that team?
1: He did, and Valdano and Ruggieri and uh, and lots of lots of good players. But Maradona won the World Cup on his own. Let's face it.
2: Rob, are you not going to defend Pastore? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm OK, OK. This piece. I could really you try and defend <laughs> Javier Pastore?
1: Okay, I think I think uh, we have to. And I was going to come and, and well, I didn't really know how to how to approach this one because I don't think Javier Pastore should be in a top five Argentines in the history of Liga, but just because he, he suffered so much with injury. And that apart from that first season, where he almost played a little bit out of position, Kombuare played him as part of a front two, which is why he scored 16 goals in his first year before being moved out and making way for other players and, and not playing as an out-and-out striker, which wasn't really his position. But he did score goals, but he was so talented. And Dave, there's where I think everyone feels a soft spot for him. Is it, go and have a look at, at Javier Pastore videos and just look at his first touch. And there you see how good a footballer is. And Pastore's first touch is always, always impeccable. It puts him facing the game. It's a remarkable thing he has. And unfortunately, in France, we never really saw the best of Pastore. And we never will because he was crippled by injuries. But if we're talking about players that had a big impact on Ligue 1 or we're talking about the most talented Argentinians ever to play in Ligue 1, I think Pastore would have an argument to be in a top five most talented Argentine, certainly more than someone like Carlos Bianchi, for example, who incidentally I met this year, and he's blind as a bat and always was. When he played, he could hardly see anything. He wears glasses that are thick like, uh, like soda drink bottles, Coke bottles. Like mine bottles. and Ian's. Uh, even more, even more. You, it's, it's quite frightening having a conversation with him. It's that off-putting. And, uh, trying- and apparently it's when he was on the field as well. He could never really see who passed him the ball or, or where the goal was. But he, he scored a remarkable number of goals. These strikers who scored
0: so many goals in the 60s and 70s. Um, I, I, I did an interview with Jean Petit, who is a lead Monaco legend, um, former, former Monaco captain in the 60s, I think, and uh, early 70s. And he was talking to me about Delio Onis. And, and, and he said, yeah, Onis, he was, he was slow. He wasn't very big. He wasn't very physical, but he was, just always, he was just always in the right place and his finishing was unbelievable. It, it just makes you wonder, doesn't it? Because, you know, these guys, they're not like George Ware or Didier Drogba or, you know, I don't know. They're, they're more sort of, you know, we I think of Gary Lineker, even though Gary Lineker, you know, obviously had a lot about him, but
2: they were real foxes in the boxes, weren't they, Dave? Yeah, well, in, I don't want to give away my entire article because pe- I want people to read it. But I, I describe Mario Ricardi as Delio Onis' spiritual heir in there. That's someone that you don't really notice all game, who doesn't look particularly outstanding in any aspect, but is in the right place and sticks the ball in the back of the net.
3: I want to say six-yard tapping in Spanish, Dave.
2: <laughs> What's that in Portuguese? <laughs> I,
1: I
3: haven't next got week. there yet. Next,
1: right. next week, Armel, next week.
0: Yeah. I've got all one right. more name to add. Um again, I don't think he would make the top five, but um, because we've been talking, um, we've been talking about him in the press recently, Mauro Cheto, I think it's pronounced Cetto, um centre back, long haired, bit sort of gingery long hair, um, played most of his career in France and was a big, big uh, uh, figure at Toulouse. And interestingly, um, he's coaching these days. He was... Uh, saying that he's very keen to come back to France. And Toulouse were in contact with him last season. Um, they wanted to um, appoint him as their head scout. And he said no. Um, but there were negotiations about him becoming the sporting director of Toulouse. And uh, that would have been really interesting. It didn't happen. And perhaps Toulouse are regretting that. But perhaps, I, I think we might well see Mauro Cheto in France. And he was yeah he was one of those, you know, Heinz uh, Pochettino type of centre-backs. Fabry as well. Rugged and uh, and very... Very strong, very good.
1: How about, it's not Just... quite random, but how about a couple of random Argentine names then? Argentinian name, Argentine name. Ah, got, <laughs> it, got it wrong. Sorry, got it wrong. I got, it's one of the two. Some random Argentine names. Martin Cardetti, who was uh, at PSG when Ronaldinho was there, and he scored in a Classique, one of the great Classique wins over Marseille back in 2002, probably.
0: Yes. But he was pretty he average. Won. Gonzalo Bergesio was supposed to be the big star when he, when he signed for Saint-Étienne.
1: <laughs> yeah. He showed a few
3: he he showed a I don't few think clicks. he was
1: that bad. Yeah.
3: <laughs> uh, Omar De Fonseca, title winner with Paris in the 80s. Bit How many a, goals a bit of a loud mouth. Probably about one. I think
1: he got think two. one. Producer oh, one,
0: Ian yeah. is desperate for us to talk about Turdo, who played for Rennes, I think, uh, in the early uh, noughties.
3: Mario uh, Turdo? Do you, do you, does
0: anyone have memories of Turdo?
3: He was crap.
2: Yeah, well, th- this was when they were
3: spending <laughs> huge money. So
2: the way Ren operate now is still in relation to the, all the money that they spent in the late nineties and early noughties, because they got badly burned signing, in particular, South American players, spending twenty million or so, which at the time was huge, huge money, and like even now, the the family there, the the Pino family, they're that they're concerned about this and you can see it the way they've kept a, a tight hand on the finances.
1: Yeah. Luis Fabiano was the big one, wasn't it? And he actually went on to be, to, to show that he was a, a fine footballer yeah. as well.
2: Have we
3: mentioned Civelli? Oh my. I... We
1: haven't. No, Renato. Yeah. Uh,
3: Renato Civelli, Marseille, Nice, Lille. He was a, he was a top player, wasn't he?
1: He was, he was a underrated central defender, I think. Well, he
2: had a man's points really, so really though, Yeah. Know, Demonstrative, winding up the crowd, winding up the opposition. Yeah. yeah air. Absolutely.
1: We're
0: definitely putting Delio Onis in. We're definitely putting Carlos Bianchi. Um, Dave, who are the other definites? There's-
1: An- oh. Angel Di Maria.
0: Angel, yeah.
2: You tell, tell me, that, boys. So.
1: Well, I think uh, Heinzer, I agree that it's that it's touch and go. I think he was, he was a crowd favourite. And this is, I think, important. He was a crowd favourite with Paris Saint-Germain. And then managed to win over Marseille, which is never an easy thing. And he was crucial along with Lucho Gonzalez for for Marseille winning that League title. Um, that's got to count for something.
0: I'd have Liz i I personally I, I'm happy with Lucho Gonzalez. I'm not so much I'm not so happy with Heinz. So I think there are better players, and for me it's Lissandro who who deserves to be in. But um, I'm happy for anyone does anybody else let's say that is the one opening the one weakness in Dave's top five is there anybody else we, we haven't mentioned goalkeepers we've got Walter Nic- Benitez Nico Gaetan <laughs> Nico Gaetan hasn't done much yet Walter Benitez and also the ladder uh, uh, Montpellier he's Argentinian isn't he uh, Geronimo Rulli he's, Geronimo. Done, he's done very well this season
3: is there is there one another one we haven't mentioned perhaps Marcelo Gallardo or did we mention him we haven't he, Gallardo. A he, he was a he talent he deserves a mention and oh he's one that goodness. we might see back in league soon. A lot of uh, clubs being yeah, linked with him yeah. as a as a coach. He's a successful coach at the moment, so he just definitely deserves a mention. Does so, well, a And i gone the part
2: of France for Monaco Gallardo. Um, yeah. When uh, I think Suleiman Camera played that game. This was right back in the early noughties, just showing how long Suleiman Camera has been playing.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Armel, you've just thrown a you, you've just thrown a huge spanner into the works, Armel. I, I Marcelo Gallardo. I think should be in the top 5 he was exceptional and a lot of a lot of players I've spoken to have said he you know he's the best player they've ever
1: played with and he didn't he when didn't he help monaco to to the league title and was absolutely yep. like it, crucial yep. when they when mm. they won yeah. the league
3: yeah, yeah. So a little bit ahead. it's the
1: year i arrived in france and i don't remember monaco's league league title victory so I, I didn't see him play there. I only saw a, a shadow of Gallardo come and play for Paris Saint-Germain a,
2: a few years later. Yeah, he, he, did, he arrived in River Plate in 99 and was voted League and Player of the Year as Monaco won the title under Claude Puel, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly.
0: That's right. And didn't Christophe Galtier swing a, swing a, a right hook at him in the tunnel at the Velodrome? Was that, yes. was that not yes, Gallardo? Yes, that's him. Yes, yeah. It's him. So look, let's, let's put Gallardo in. Let's drop Heinz. Oh, that, that's a
1: late run. Late, late male. Ah, oh, man. Oh, well, a bit right. We, uh, yeah, do you know what? This put,
3: is all this is all he's done. He's come one off the up.
1: rails and he's won it in the final straight by two clear lengths.
3: Do you know why, Robbie? This is making up for leaving Payet disgracefully out of the team <laughs> of the decades. This is this is just trying to get back to parity.
0: Onis, um, Lucho, Di Maria, Galado, and Anka Di Maria. How could I forget Anka? Um, there we go. That is Labouche's best five Argentines. We may well be doing a best uh, Brazilian best five Australians
1: next week. Best five Australians
3: oh, will be quick, yeah. twenty-minute pod. <laughs> best
0: five Welsh. Pretty good. Men. That's going to
1: be a lot of work for me then, if we're going to get it to twenty minutes. No, we
0: do welcome your ideas on on La Boge. We'll be.
1: Um, I will you offer more... you my top five Australians next week, just very quickly, and I don't expect too much debate. Okay, there we go. Fine. No, I'm
0: thinking Stajovsky is going to be in there somewhere.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. I might <laughs> even get him on the pod. I'll give him a call and record a little interview with him.
0: <laughs> all right, Robbie. Thank you very much. Thank you to everybody. You've been listening to, uh, to Le Bourgeois, the official League One podcast. Um, we do hope you're all keeping safe. We do hope you're all staying at home and acting responsibly. And uh, yes, hopefully we can, uh, we can get on top of this situation and uh, get our lives back to normal and uh yeah do do look after yourself and uh keep in touch with uh with your loved ones and your friends and uh we'll stay be back stay at home stay at home we'll be back next week thank you david cross and Armel tangi and robert thompson from uh from all of us it is time to say au revoir a bientôt Bye-bye. 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 bye 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 bye